This is the On All Cylinders Podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Your host for today is Summit Racing's Justin Weiderman with special guest Ian Johnson from Four Wheeler and Big Tire Garage. Here we go. What's going on, guys? It's Justin here from Summit Racing, and we have a very special guest for you guys today, Ian Johnson from Big Tire Garage. Now, for the folks that don't know at home, tell them a little bit about your YouTube channel, you know, Big Tire Garage, and how you got started in this industry. And I I know you have a really cool story, so I'll let you tell it. Yeah, so I've been working in television and other types of content creation now since 2003. I helped launch one of the very first off-road television how-to shows that we've ever seen on TV. Did that for, gosh, I think it was 14 years. Prior to that, I did an episode of Monster Garage. Uh, That was sort of my entry into television. And then, uh, you know, a few years ago, I decided that it was time to start our own production company and start doing some new TV stuff. And we opened our own production company. And ever since then, we've been wide open making stuff for Motor Trend now. We're making, we made a bunch of stuff for Amazon Prime. And then, of course, just the typical YouTube where we stick some of our other content. So we're a little bit everywhere. We just kind of make content for everybody. Before TV, I was a high school shop teacher. And before that, I was a heavy trucking coach and automotive mechanic up in Canada. So kind of done a little bit of everything, but I would say making TV is probably my most fun job so far. Yeah, you sound like a jack of all trades. And uh, certainly through your years of, you know, watching you and kind of seeing what you got going on, that seems to be true. I do a little bit of everything. You know, it was kind of funny when I started on TV, we kind of, I got caught behind the scenes a couple of times helping out with production. And that's sort of how that started. And then the good thing for me is I can build the truck, drive the truck, fix the truck. And at the same time, I can also do all the behind the scenes parts to make a television show about that truck. So I'm, I'm lucky in that part. So tell us, do you got anything cool you're working on in your shop now? Like uh, any fun big projects? Yeah, we're between seasons on four-wheeler right now. So we kind of got a few things. I'm finishing up a couple cars that we've been waiting on parts for. So I've got a Land Rover Defender that I built a couple years ago that we kind of got caught in that supply chain nightmare that everyone got caught in. So we've been waiting on parts now. Those have all finally got here. So that's a all aluminum bodied Land Rover Defender on a Jeep JK chassis. It's got a Cummins R2.8 in it, TR4050, uh, Rubicon axles, uh, sitting on 35s right now. So we're finishing that up, getting it all done. I've got my bomber car that I built last year on four-wheeler. We're getting it ready to go out to King of the Hammers this year. Not to race, it's it's a trail car. So I'm just going through it, uh, changing a couple things from the original build. Then we're gonna send the chassis out, get it powder coated. Finish the season just in raw steel because I knew I might want to change a couple things. And after taking it on its first test drive, I knew I want to change some stuff. So we got that finishing up. And then I've got a 2005 Tacoma that we did a full Tundra V8 swap into it. So that's also on the lift getting done as well. So kind of got a little bit of everything going on at all times. It's usually about four cars in mid-build in my shop at all times. It just that's how it works out. You have quite the array of different projects there, all the way from a taco to a King of the Hammers car. We do a little bit of everything. And then I've got a couple uh, street cars that we just finished up. My son's BMW wagon. We did a full LS swap and Tremec six-speed conversion in it. So we got it kind of we run the gamut in here. You know, I like to do all the off-road stuff, but if I'm looking for a break, I'll... I'll work on a, a streetcar occasionally because they're just a little bit easier to work on, to be honest with you. What was your first uh, off-road? Like, what gave you the bug? What made you an off-road guy? What was your first rig that you uh, purchased or built or that kind of deal? Well, my first car, I still have it, was a 74 Volkswagen Bug. And so I still have that car. I work on it occasionally. The goal is to get it done next year. But my first four-wheel drive was just like everyone else my age, man. It was a Jeep. 
1985 Jeep CJ7 with 35 sprung over on 35s and uh, go down that road once. And then it's, it's Jeep is the entry level drug for all of off-roading. Once you get a Jeep, it's all downhill from there. You meet great people and you have a good time and you're using the car. It's not a show car. You know, it's, it's, it looks as good as a show car, but at the end of the day, you're still using it. You know, you're actually getting out and climbing over rocks and going on adventures and you can use it as hard or as light as you want. You know, you can, take your family and go in the middle of nowhere and go camping, or you can hardcore throw down on a bunch of rocks and break a bunch of parts. There's, 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 there's everything in between, which is great. So yeah, for me, it was 85 Jeep CJ seven and then all downhill from there. I, I can attest to that. First rig I got was a Suzuki Samurai two wheel drive. So we did the whole four wheel drive conversion and you know, and it just progressed from there, went from, you know, spring over to lockers and then you're doing transfer case gears. Well, it doesn't have enough power. So it needs a tracker motor and it kind of just uh, all snowballs from there. They're never done. They're just waiting to break on you so you can rebuild them into something else. And that's like my favorite part about off-roading is it's not like when you build like a classic car, do that kind of deal, you know, generally once it's painted and you put a nice motor and doll it all up, the car's done and you drive it and enjoy it. In the off-road market, we doll it up, make it nice for wheeling season. We go beat the snot out of it all year and then it's pull it back in the garage and fix what you don't like or upgrade it. Or My favorite part about the off-road world is that it doesn't matter if you show up with a hundred thousand dollar tube buggy sitting on spider tracks pro series axles or a five thousand dollar samurai everyone's got a fair shot at the hill and if that guy in the samurai makes it up on a five thousand dollar samurai you're just as happy for him as the guy who did it in a hundred thousand dollar car there's no like oh you brought that piece of crap to the car show i can't believe you did that the world of off-road man you show up with some old clapped out xj with no doors on it they just want to see you hit something hard and have fun that's the best part about off-road in my mind so you kind of mentioned XJs there. What's your recommendation for a first off-road rig? I always like to say Cherokees because for what you can do stock in them, they're really, really impressive. I have two answers for that. And my one answer is, is it'd be, like you said, probably an XJ, even though they're getting a little bit more expensive, I would say any sort of entry-level Jeep you can get into is probably good. Um, even some of the old full-size Broncos, you can still get into them. Full-size Blazers, not so much. Ram Chargers still, yes. I would say any any sort of like entry level off road vehicle, but the XJs are good. The only problem with the XJs is that unibody, and then you got when you start modifying it, that oh, it's terrible to work with because you're breathing in all that galvaloom all the time when you're welding on it. So you, I would say you'll you'll outgrow an XJ a lot faster than you would outgrow some full size rig. So whether that's a Chevy pickup or even a Toyota pickup truck, if you can find it, you got to get the older ones. The problem with those is prices through the roof. So that, that's my one answer. And then my other answer is, even though I, I'm not a fan of them, I never have been, I'm very vocal about the fact that I'm not a fan. Fastest way into the dirt is in a side-by-side, no matter what. You don't have to build it. You go out and buy it, and you're riding the next day. I've, we've seen a lot of movement in that world, and I think we're going to see it in, in some other places. Utah just passed a law that, you know, first-time side-by-side owners got to now get an off-road driver's license, and they have to pass a training course, which... I'm not against. I think that's fine. I think that that's the only downfall, I think, of the side-by-side market is when you get somebody who gets into a car like that right out of the gate, they've just financed it, they're out driving it. They don't have the knowledge of the trails, the knowledge of the trail etiquette, all that kind of stuff, because they're brand new. It's so brand new. They just haven't cut their teeth like those of, like the guys who started with a clapped out old XJ did, you know? And so I think that's uh, that's where they get, they get a bad rap, but I think a lot of it is just because they just haven't had spent time in the dirt as much as everybody else. 
So you attended the SEMA show and um, tell us your thoughts on the show. Was there anything that caught your eye? Did you see any future trends that you think are going to come? SEMA was weird this year because we didn't have a, anything that was like brand new, you know, like last year, the Bronco was brand new. So the Broncos were everywhere. Year before that was the C8 Corvette. So the C8 Corvettes were everywhere. Uh, year before that, you know, we had the Supras and the Gladiators were new. So it's been a, it, this is probably one of the first years where we didn't have like a big, this is the it car, you know, nobody came out with something that was going to break the internet sort of thing. So uh, trends I saw at the SEMA show, I mean, you can't ignore the whole overlanding slash overpacking crowd. They're there um, with a lot of things bolted onto their cars. So there's a lot of over overlanding going on. I think that's huge market, I think, right now. And I think what's happening is I think you have a whole group of people who got into off-roading, you know, maybe got in with like a hardcore tube buggy or a trail car years ago. They grew up, had family, and then maybe they got a, a Jeep. They took their family off-roading. And now maybe they're at the point where they're like, you know what, I don't really want to break my truck every time I take it out, but I still want to get out in the woods. And so I think they're scaling back and buying things like Tacomas and Gladiators and and these purpose-built overlanding trucks and trailers. And I think that's what's sort of driving that whole market. It's that whole age of people that are just kind of like, I'm tired of working on my junk. I just want to go camping with my with my family, you know, and get out in the woods. So I would say probably, you know, that segment is just, it's blowing up every year. And this year at SEMA, it was even bigger. It's kind of like off-roading light is how I like to look at it. I mean, I, I get it. You know, I went on a trip last year or just the second year in a row that we went on it. We went on this trip. I go on it every year with uh, Yukon Gear and Axle. It's called the Adventure Trek. And it's it's not a hardcore off-road trip. It's just a back road trip. And so we've been doing what's called the BDR, and that, that stands for Backcountry Discovery Route. That's a series of, like, dirt roads that start up in uh, Washington State and actually go all the way down to Baja, Mexico. And so we've done the Washington State to Park City route. And then this year we did Park City down to Moab. And then I think this year we're going to skip the next middle section and go straight from Arizona down to Baja uh, this year. And that that's just back roads, dirt roads, light trails, very little four-wheel drive, if any. But it, And then it's camping and stay at a couple motels here and there. But it, it, it's just a stress-free trip, honestly. It's so much fun. I take my Tacoma on that trip. A couple years ago, I took my two-door Gladiator on that trip. It's just I don't have to worry about breaking stuff. I can just go out and rip through the dirt and have some fun and hang out with my friends. So I get it. I get that whole, like, overlanding group trip travel type of thing. I think it's hey as long as someone's getting dirt on the tires i don't care they're having fun i mean heck lamborghini's coming out with a lifted lamborghini they just sent the launch the commercial the other day porsche is coming out with a lifted uh porsche so i think they've all realized that there's a lot of people who like to spend time in the dirt for sure now yeah. you've obviously wheeled all over the united states and a little bit all over the world where is your where is your favorite spot to wheel are you an east coast guy west coast guy are you favoring the desert stuff more now it depends on which car I've got. So for me, it's like it, it, I've got enough cars now that I have like a specific car for specific areas. So, but if I'm going to take like my favorite wheeling destination, it's always going to be Moab, Utah. That's the best place to go. I mean, there's such a history there with the Jeep. Um, there's so many trails. The, the city is just a cool little town in the middle of nowhere. It's even though it's not a little town anymore, like 20 years ago, we used to go there. It's a little town. Now it's basically about the same as Big Bear, California. It's a resort town. 
But I would say, yeah, Moab's going to be at the top of the list of the coolest places to go wheeling, no matter what. That's got to be on everyone's bucket list. For if you have a Jeep and you haven't been to Moab, you got to put that on your list and get out to Moab. And then, um, like, I love wheeling in the south, but it's just back back door for me, so it's super simple and easy to do that kind of stuff. I would, But then outside of Moab, I would say the next sort of, like, bucket list place that people should go would be Johnson Valley. And if you really want to see a spectacle, you should go during King of the Hammers. If you just want to hit some of the hardest trails in this country, just go and have fun there outside of King of the Hammers. But for an event that someone should go to, yeah, King of the Hammers for sure. That's a sight to be seen. And just like Ian said, if you guys ever get the opportunity or you're looking to do a crazy trip, you know, out here on the East Coast, it's cold during the winter, but it's the perfect time to head out West and go check out Johnson Valley. And uh, It's cold cold in Johnson Valley in February too. Trust me, I'm there every February for King of the Hammers. It's very, very cold. It's it's below freezing overnight, but it's... uh, the cool thing about the whole Johnson Valley area is just it's 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 just it's really neat, you know. It's got cool history to it. Like that whole area was, you know, it, they used it for practicing B-52 bomber runs. So when you go out in the lake beds, you drive down uh, off the trails. If you get to know the area well, you can just sort of break off and go down onto the valley floor. You'll find like they have these concrete targets that are like 100 feet across. They literally look like bullseyes. They're like 100 feet, 50 feet, and 10 feet. And they've poured concrete in the desert and they used to fly the b-52s and they would drop not actual bombs but they'd drop fake bombs full of sand that were the same weight as the bombs so they could practice their bombing runs that's why there's so many divots out there in the in the in the desert floor there's not a lot of cool history there um there's no terrain like it there's nothing as as awesome as as that whole area and then like you said yeah i mean when you're out there and it's not king of the hammers you're out there you're 20 miles from the closest light bulb I mean, you're, there's nothing out there. You got to bring it with you if you want to survive. Now, during King of the Hammers, it is. It's a city, man. It's got Wi-Fi. It's got food trucks. It's got restaurants. It's got this last couple of years. They had a beer tent come in. They have a brewery come in and set up. So they have a full restaurant with a beer garden on one end. It, it's crazy. So the amount of work that goes into putting that event together is is pretty crazy. And if just if you're in the world of off-road, you really should kind of think about going to King of the Hammers because there's nothing quite like seeing 150,000 people who love off-roading as much as you do in the desert. That is certainly super competitive. And um, I know it's, I believe it's what's the OG is their 13 original Hammers drivers. I think if I, I might be a little off there, yeah, but. Now the OG 13 gets it in, but there's actually 12, but OG 13 sounds better. So that's what they call it. So there's 12 original drivers that always have a starting slot. Then for a few years, it was the race was only open to you had to finish top 10 score finishers, top 10 back when We Rock was around, U Rock, XRA. So they would basically take all these guys who finished top 10 of their points in all these different off road genres. They got an invite to come race. And then they had, I think it was 40 invitation only slots. And that was when they only had one class. All they had was Ultra Four. That's all it was. It wasn't even called Ultra Four back then. It was just King of the Hammers. And that was one day of racing. That was it. Now we have a week worth of racing out there. I mean, there's T1 trucks, which is your ultimate off-road desert trucks. There's three days of like legit desert racing. Then there's the side-by-sides. Then there's the everyman challenge. Then there's qualifying all day. A week after that, then you have the full-blown Ultra 4, which is on the Saturday. So it's it's a little crazy. It's definitely a spectacle. And to think like it was, I raced it in 2009, 2010, and there was 50 of us on the lake bed. And now there's 100,000 people on the lake bed. So that's a lot of growth in 10 years. I've kind of noticed that the uh, that Southern Rock Racing Series and the Rock Bouncer thing has kind of blown up in the same light. 
it's gone from basically a, a bunch of guys, you know, hitting big rowdy hills in the woods and one ton V8 rigs to you have guys like Timmy Cameron that just what those guys do and like the and the bouncers and the pro UTVs is absolutely wild. Yeah, it gets a little crazy for sure. The SRS stuff, I always, I always equate it to like drag racing off road. You know, there's no real uh, ultra four is like endurance race and SRS is a sprint. I mean, it's fun. It really is. But it's it's the closest thing we have in uh, off-road racing that's that's like quick and fast, like like drag racing. I, I love it. I love all that SRS stuff, the rock bouncer stuff. You know, I've built a couple rock bouncers. I think they're cool. And it is. It's throw, the throwdown that goes on there. I mean, the amount of horsepower most cars are making is absolutely crazy. How can you put so much money and time and hard work into a project and then go out and break it? <laughs> that's easy. So I'll, the perfect example of why, why I think that's fine is I grew up in the era of pro street cars, right? So I grew up in our town, probably the, you know, we're, I'm in a, from a small town in Canada and there was like 10 guys there who had like legit pro street cars. And we all hung out. We were in the same car club. It was called the rolling thunder street machines. And they built what would now be considered like legit race cars. But back in the eighties and the nineties, you spent all this time building all these race cars and you never used them. They never, you never, you took them to a car show and you, put on a lawn chair and you had your satin jacket with your car embroidered on the back. And that's all you did with it. I mean, you, you literally owned a race car and you didn't race it. It was just a pro street car. You just drove it to the, we used to drive it to the Woolworths every Wednesday night and hang out type of thing. So to me, it's like, I would much rather build something and use it like right to the edge of its ability than build it and just park it. You know, I, I respect guys that do that. I dig the guys who build like super high end, fancy street rods and hot rods, all that kind of stuff. I get it. And those things are literally pieces of art. You know, they basically build it. It's a piece of art and a piece of art you hang on the wall and you look at it because it's pretty. I would much rather have a piece of art that I can use every single day. To me, the art isn't in the shiny paint and the pretty wheels, all that kind of stuff. To me, the art is in like how well that vehicle works. That's why I dig, I dig drift cars for the same reason. You know, a drift car is, from 50 feet away, it looks good. But when you get up five feet, it's a pile of crap held together with zip ties and duct tape. But when you see it out on the drift track, it's looking pretty cool, doing some pretty cool stuff. Once you've done, in all honesty, once you've done it once, you'd, you'd never look back. You'd be like, yep, I'm fine with that. I, that's easily done. I'd much rather roll this truck down the hill because I had so much fun doing it than uh, just sit there and look at it. You know, the first time you go through a route, you know, you make it up a, a hill or go through a rowdy rock section or you make it up something that one of your buddies couldn't make it up. The, the amount of satisfaction and the smile, you know, it puts on your face is uh, there's no other way to get it. And it's cool to go out in something in the woods that, you know, you built in your garage after work during the week. And then you uh, you go out all weekend and beat it up. I think it's also the other difference is like West Coast stuff. You can go back to Easter Jeep every year and they'll be like a beautiful, if you have a beautiful Jeep and you wheel it on the West Coast, it'll stay beautiful forever. I mean, that's just the other thing, you know? Like I have an M715, I absolutely love that truck. It's kind of rat rotty because that's how I found it. I found it in the junkyard and, and pulled it out and put it back together. And we left it kind of rat rotty, but I won't wheel it on the East Coast because if I do, I'll just wreck the body on it. So that's also part of it. Once you get into off-road and you start to realize, okay, maybe I'll have a vehicle if I want to keep my vehicle super nice, then I don't wheel it on the East Coast. If I, if I don't care what it looks like, then yeah, I'll, I'll hit some hills on the East Coast and bounce it off some trees. But when you're out west, you don't have to worry about that. You've got tons of traction. You can pick where you want to go. and You can usually come out unscathed if, if you once you learn how to drive fairly well. 
Yeah, the trees, um, the trees add a different, and the mud add a different element to the uh, the off road thing. And the hills, it's it's just the hills, loose slip, slippery hills that you're not going to get to pick where you want to go, and you're just going to bounce off something. So it's a lot of wheel speed, a lot of horsepower, and just kind of feeling your way through the woods. And if you're feeling your way through your woods with your truck, you're just going to you're going to ride it off. So out of your current, I know we talked a little bit about your first rig. Um, do you have a soft spot for like a special project you did over the years? Um, anything like that? Yeah, it's probably going to be, I've got a, a custom Jeep. We call it the shop truck. It's basically a, a YJ front clip, but it's a full custom bodied um, pickup truck. Um, that's probably one of my favorites just because it's so stupid reliable. It's just like when I, mean, I can literally let it sit for two years, check the fluids and throw it on a trailer and drag it out to Moab or drag it out to King of the Hammers and it works great. And it's, it's literally wheeled everywhere in the country because it's been on ultimate adventure up in new england in 2018 so it did seven states in seven days up there it's been to johnson valley it's been to king of the hammers it's been out for it's been all over utah it's been all over the pacific northwest it's been all over the south um yeah that's probably one of my favorites just just because it's just so stupid and so so reliable and it looks cool you know it's basically we took a all brand new jeep some aluminum body aluminum bed and then painted it to look like an old 50s shop truck. So it's kind of got that old school look, even though it's all brand new underneath. So that's probably my favorite one. I do like the Zook. The Zook is actually, uh, it passed through a couple people. It left the show, went to my buddy's shop. Uh, he wheeled it for three, four years. And then uh, he actually gave it back to me. I did a TDI diesel swap in it on four wheeler. And then he took it back and now his family's grown it's just it's enough it's not good to have a three-seater tube buggy rock crawler he wants something a little bit bigger and so he was going to sell it back to me or basically give it back to me i didn't need it because i got like 16 cars at this point and uh so now it's out with a buddy of mine uh nate pickle he's a big youtuber it's got a youtube channel called dirt lifestyle and he's a big diesel guy and he's also a big vw guy and so uh I knew that that was where the truck had to end up. So the cool thing is, is he's got that Zook and he's got a couple crazy ideas for it that involve like Unimog axles and a whole bunch of crazy stuff. So I'm excited to see what he does with it for sure. Oh, that, that sounds like a party. I'm excited. I'll have to check him out. Uh, that, uh, that puts some excitement in me too. Like I said, that's, there's, I always have a soft spot for, like I said, Samurais is my first rig. Um, also, I think a $5,000 Samurai on Toyota axles will hurt a lot of feelings off-road, which is, makes it even more fun because you show up with Samurai, people will put those things and it's amazing how many places you can stick a Samurai that you can't get a $50,000 Jeep JL to save your life. You can, and you can throw 40s at it and one tons and the Samurai will come in and just climb that trail like, not, like it wasn't even there, which is super cool. So do you have any big projects here? I know we talked a little bit about you have a ton of stuff going on in your shop, but um, besides the stuff you kind of talked about earlier, do you have any other big future projects? Uh, no, that's about it. I mean, like I said, we're, we're just in between seasons. I've got, I got to get stuff ready for four wheeler next year. So I've got a 68 Jeepster that we're going to start the year with, and I, I'm gathering up all the parts for it, drivetrain wise and stuff. So we've got, uh, um, I'm actually going to put an EcoBoost V6 in that one just because I think it'd be different and kind of fun. Uh, so we got that to build. Um, I don't, I'm, we've kind of, right now we're just sort of in the planning stages of the year, figuring out what projects we're going to bring in. Uh, I've got an old Scout that is a friend of mine that I think we might bring it in. Uh, I might bring back my two-door Gladiator, do an LS swap in it because it's got the little, still has the original V6 in it, little uh, JK V6. So it's kind of, uh, 
kind of be nice to have a big LS and some one tons underneath it just for fun. So we're just right now we're kind of just wrapping up the year and then we'll sort of sit down at the beginning of the year and start planning out what we're going to build. And I got a Jeep Comanche. I got to finish for Easter Jeep this year. That's kind of one that everyone's kind of been bugging me to finish up. I started a few years ago and installed. So the goal is to get it done and out for, uh, for Easter Jeep this year. So that's probably the, the next big push I got to take care of on my end. Yeah. It seems those things have a crazy cult following. One of my friend's neighbors has the has a diesel original diesel powered five speed Comanche. Wow! And uh, I mean, it is gorgeous. It's white, has the fun like the period wheels on it. Thing runs like a top. His kid drives it all the time, and I'm just like, man, that is a that's a gem. That's like to me, like I look at that, and that's like seeing a '66 Corvette. That's like yeah. real. Yeah, the Comanches are crazy. They're, like you said, they're super popular for sure. And I mean, that's so I started this one years ago, and I, I just got to get it done. It, it's pretty wild. It's got JK axles, it's custom length suspension front and rear, it's sitting on airbags, so it's got adjustable height, um, sits super low at, uh, at ride height, 37s. Uh, I got a supercharged JK V6 under the hood, and then I even chopped the roof by three inches just to make it look even goofier. So it's got a lot going on, so it, it's gonna be a fun truck when it's all said and done, but I just gotta get it there. So it's at the point now where I gotta finish up some floors in it, because I pushed the motor back so far, I had to redo the firewall and all the floor. So I got to get that taken care of and then get the cage done, interior done, and finish up the top chop and get it into paint and get it out for Easter Jeep. And you'd mentioned Scouts earlier too. Those, another vehicle that's just got an app, has a crazy cult following at this point. I think they're cool. I've built a couple of them. I built a really nice 800 that I wish I never would have let it get away. Um, I built it on the last show and I was like, man, I should have bought it off the production company because I did really like that truck. It was really nice, really fun. And, and that would be the one that I need to build still. I, I'd like to replace that and get that in my collection of a of a Scout 800A. I just absolutely love. It. And the guys, the guys from uh, IH Only North, they're they're a big retailer of, of uh, Scout parts. And those guys are always kind of like, I've got one sitting here for you. Just let me know and I'll bring it out. So they've got a they got an 800 waiting for me. I just got to get off. I got to finish up a few other cars before I start adding more projects to the pile. So we, uh, we have a kind of a very specific question here. What leaf springs did you use on your Colorado build? Uh, I use the leaf springs that I've used on all of my leaf spring builds. So I use uh, Chevy K5 Blazer front springs. So even though they're in the back, I, I use the front springs. Um, I used, I've used those. Uh, that's what's on my 715 uh, lockjaw. It's got K5 Blazer front springs on all four corners. I find they're short enough that you don't end up with like a real garbagey overhang angle so you can put a 40 inch tire on there and you end up with the shackle close enough to the tire that you can actually do some rock crawling the rear springs are just so long you end up with so much overhang on the back um, and then the other nice thing about the front springs is they do flex pretty good uh, i usually pull a spring pack or two out and let them get a little softer but yeah it's it's all k5 blazer uh k5 blazer springs got them on three different vehicles now with k5 blazer springs on in different locations on the car and that's also like one of the cool parts about off-roading. You know, you're using a frame from one thing and axles from another vehicle, transmission and transfer case from something else. It's all Mexican food, man. It's all Mexican food. When you go to a Mexican restaurant, no matter what you order, it's seasoned meat wrapped up in a tortilla. I've just got 10 different names. And that's an off-road truck. It's just, you can call it a Chevy, you can call it a Jeep, but really it's got Ford axles and a Chevy engine and a uh, you know, aftermarket transfer case and same thing. You build a Ranger, it's going to have the same thing. It's going to have, maybe it's got 
uh, nine inch axles, but they're still one tons. It's still gonna have king. It's gonna have some sort of outer that's gonna come off of a Ford Data 60. And then uh, same thing, V8 engine transmission, aftermarket transfer case, just has a different wrapper on the outside, man. It's all Mexican food. I, I love that analogy. That's a, that's a good one. I'm going to use that one. Now we talked a little bit about suspension and, you know, we kind of mentioned leaf springs. Do you have, so you, you have all the way from leaf spring rigs all the way to, you know, triangulated four link coilover kind of deals. Do you have a, um, a preference or a favorite or what do you like about each? I base the suspension on the vehicle. So like for me, when I was building my M715, that's a classic piece of old iron Jeep. And I mean, that's gotta have leaf springs on it. It's just cooler to have leaf springs on it. My YJ shop truck, uh, the whole point of that truck was to sort of build it like you're building out of a parts bin. And so, yeah, if you're building out of a parts bin, you'd probably have coal springs in the front, leaf springs in the back type of thing. You know, my Ultra 4 pre-runner, my goat built LJ, it's got all the race car parts in it. You know, it's got two and a half inch four tube bypasses, Two and our uh, two-inch coil carriers, air bumps at all four corners, 20 inches of suspension travel all the way around. You can do 100 miles an hour through the desert if you wanted it. I just base it off the vehicle. So you know, like the Colorado build, the whole point behind that truck was us building it for Ultimate Adventure. And for Ultimate Adventure, it's that fine line of you know you don't want something super exotic because the super exotic stuff can sometimes bite you when you're just trying to knock out 500 road miles on that trip. Uh, and so sometimes just going simple like leaf springs and coil springs, it's kind of your best bet in the long run on something like that. You mentioned ultimate adventure. That is, um, that is quite the event. And for, uh, you guys that don't know what that is, it's a kind of similar to drag week is how I'd, uh, explain it is, you know, you hit three or four different trail systems and you drive on roads in between. And so you have to not only have a great wheel and rig, you know, you have to have something that's reliable on the road too. Not just reliable on the road, you gotta live out of it for seven days. So you can't tow it anywhere. You gotta carry all your food, all your clothes, all your camping gear. Cause out of those seven nights on the road, you're camping for four of them. You gotta have it, it's gotta be built to throw down on hard trails, do 500 road miles, and then you gotta be able to sleep in the truck for, for at least four nights uh, out of the week. So, and you gotta carry, like I said, carry all your food. So you gotta have like some sort of freezer, cooler, fridge or something, or and a way to cook it, way to make coffee in the morning if you like coffee, which I do. So yeah, it, it's it's a tough it's a tough sloth, it's, it's hard. And when I say like drive all day, you're we're in those cars from seven in the morning, we pull out of camp, you know, usually it's wheel, drive, wheel some more, and then you're pulling into camp. But if you get into camp at 10 o'clock at night, it's a good night. So you're out all day uh, locking out miles and, and hitting the road. And when you break, you got to fix it yourself. So if you're on the site, if you break and on a trail, then you got to get your junk fixed and get back in line type of thing. So it's a... Uh, it, it's an adventure. It truly is. It truly is the ultimate adventure. Yeah, that is. Um, and to see some of like the highlights from it, you know, there was that one video that got real popular on the internet over the ultimate adventure. And it was, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but with the four wheel drive van. Tiger knows how to party. Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah, and he's just beating the snot out of it. Just getting up that scent, like just lock the lock, giving it all it's got. And it's just like, yeah, yep. that's, that's what I'm about. You know, when we were, everybody was growing up and, you know, obviously you had your first wheel, you have your first wheeling rig and a lot of the times you don't have a tow rig. Yeah. It just, it changes how you drive too. You know, like I just got done building my bomber trail car because I missed having a two buggy for that exact reason. I mean, two buggy, there's no care given at all. I mean, you throw the right parts in it and it, you're not going to break it and you get to have so much fun. You can roll it four or five times and that's just the start of the day. You know, it's just, it's, it's. 
they're they're great, but you're not going to drive a tube buggy on the street. So it's uh, it's 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 six of one, half a dozen of the other. You got to you got to kind of got to figure that out, you know. And you know the nice thing is is the aftermarket's come a long way. You know, there's so much aftermarket support in in off road. It used to be really light. You were doing using a lot of OE parts and adapting them and trying to make them work. But now we've got pretty much everything we need and the best. You can build the best, the best out of something if you want to. It's just it's just time and money, you know. And then if you don't have the money, the one good thing about off road is, like I said, there's a lot of OE parts that you can make work. It just takes a lot of work, you know. Like you can make a custom transfer case out of two OE transfer cases with one adapter plate, and you just got to find those two transfer cases, rebuild them, and put them together. It's going to cost you a lot less than a, a full blown aftermarket transfer case, but it's going to take you, you know, probably about a month to put it all together. But you'll still get uh, you'll get the, the same end result and big you know big NP205 with a 203 range box in the front. That's a tough transfer case. You're not going to break that in a certainly not going to break it in a Jeep. You're not going to break it in a Toyota. You know full size rig, eh, maybe, but you're probably not going to break the case. You're probably going to break a U joint before you break anything else. But like you had said with the OE parts and like one of my favorite parts about off roading is the junkyard aspect of it. Like there's so much stuff between small blocks, uh, four speeds. 205s and 208s, one-ton axles, that kind of like, they used to be go to the junkyard and cut that stuff out from under trucks and make it work. You know, anybody that's ever had to grind the piece of cast off like a leaf spring, like Dana 50 or that kind of deal, you're just like, yeah, this isn't very much fun. Buying an axle housing makes sense at some point. <laughs> yeah, there comes a time, that, but that's just life, right? You always have that one of two options. You either have all the money and no time or all the time and no money. That's just the way the world works. Dude, it's been super awesome talking to you, Ian. Do you uh, want to shout out your channel or kind of what you got going on? So, you know, the people know where to find you and can follow along with the big stuff you got going on. Yeah, probably the easiest way I'm on social media. I'm always the same. It's just Ian from Big Tire Garage. Uh, I got a Big Tire Garage YouTube channel where we post some weekly vlogs of just stuff that's going on behind the scenes. And then uh, all of our TV stuff is all on Motor Trend, Motor Trend Plus. Some stuff's still up on Amazon, and then uh, uh, we have a, our own streaming app called digitallug.tv that people can sign up for and watch all of our junk there. So we're kind of a little bit everywhere, so that's where you can always find us. Awesome. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. We'll catch up with you a little bit later. For sure. Anytime. See you guys. This has been the On All Cylinders podcast. Powered by Summit Racing. Check out new episodes coming soon at onallcylinders.com. Onallcylinders.com. Thanks for listening. See you next time.